Welcome to Grace Bible Fellowship Sermon Archive. Our prayer is that you will be abundantly blessed as you listen to this sermon delivered by our guest speaker. Join us as we are appointed to the grace found in Jesus Christ alone as recorded in God's holy word. We're good. All right. Deputy within our agency, a believing young man and his wife, uh, he began to serve with us after serving in the military. Uh, He had 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 a back injury from the military, but he was still functional, made it through the academy, was uh, continuing to serve, and yet in a pursuit situation had an accident and uh, his back injury was aggravated terribly. And as a result, uh, he required surgery. Surgery was done, but it was done for lack of a better word by a quack who totally just obliterated his spine. Uh, did some real damage, uh, wasn't coming back from that, continued to have uh, tests and doctors and everything, and, and uh, finally the department, uh, they did not care for him uh, because uh, his injury was related, uh, the aggravated part of it was related to a work injury, but I always thought you'd be cared for as an officer if you were injured on the job, but that's not the case. After a relatively short time, uh, they separated him medically. He was uh, upset, understandably so. I visited he and his wife numerous times, trying to be of help and encouragement to him. And finally I turned to him and I said, and tell me, how is your church helping you? And his words were grievous when he shared, our church hasn't done anything to support us. However, you my dear friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, you have not stopped supporting and encouraging us through all of the many challenges, whatever they may be, for years and most recently, as you have poured yourselves out through your visits, your letters, your gifts. And I tell you that first story so that you will see how in contrast you stand out, even as our own local church in Las Cruces where we, uh, where we serve. We are so blessed by the body of Christ, and you are such a huge part of that. And I want you to know that and how appreciative we are for you <clears throat> and all that God is doing in and through you and will continue to do. And I'm grateful to be here this morning Um, I'm encouraged by this portion, and I will tell you that God used these two verses to completely transform my perspective on how I approach him. So that's my heart this morning, as I want to share that with you, uh, because I think it was something that I needed to have an adjustment to, uh, and uh, I hope that'll be evident as we share together. Let me just pray again. Father, we ask that you would be the center of everything that is said and done this morning. How I thank you for this precious body of believers. Father, we need to be reminded that you tell us where two or three are gathered. You are there in our midst. Father, these are difficult times for ministry, difficult times for churches, pastors, so many who serve, And Father, we ask that you would build your church. We pray for this body that you would 
Strengthen them in every way as you see fit, for you are not done with your work in the hearts of men. Thank you that we still have day in which we can work, knowing that the night is coming in which no man may work. And so, Father, as we examine this short passage this morning, speak to our hearts as you would choose to do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have ever seen the, uh, I think it's a phenomenal movie, children's movie, Finding Nemo? And most of you, I hope most of you experienced that. Um, that. I've just enjoyed that with my grandchildren so much. And that's been, it came out a long time ago. But there's a portion that stands out to me as it relates to uh, this morning. <clears throat> it's toward the end of the movie when the seagulls are all gathering. And they finally look and they see something that they want, and one goes, mine. And another, mine, 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 mine. And that so clearly depicts, you know, that, that is a great picture. I'm born and raised on an island in Florida, surrounded by seagulls. Boy, that is an accurate representation of the life of a seagull. As we consider that attitude in life, so often we see that Christianity, especially here in North America, and our prayer lives can be so easily depicted by a similar attitude. We have so many ministries which set forth the common teachings of what we refer to as health and wealth and prosperity gospel. Uh, sometimes it's referred to as name it and claim it. And everything seems to be centered on a prayer for health, wealth, happiness, comfort, success, a house, a job, a wife, a husband, promotion, a raise, whatever it may be. While those things in and of themselves are not wrong, that does not hold the primary focus at all in the mind and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ when he exhorts us in Matthew chapter 6 for us to not worry about what we'll eat, what we'll eat or what we'll drink, but that understanding that the pagans run, the unbeliever runs after all these things. But to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and the Lord will add those things unto us as he knows. And furthermore, our tendency to pray may be compounded by praying with wrong motives. And James 4 reminds us of that when he says, you, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. In other words, the seemingly overarching principle that exudes from North American Christianity in our prayer life has a real similarity to the desire of the seagull. Everything is all about me, me, me. So as I say, I've been personally challenged with this portion and I won't take too long to go through it. 
Uh, there's a lot in it, but I hope that we'll be encouraged as well as challenged with what we see. So we're going to look at the three aspects uh, that the Apostle Paul sets forth and some background principles which I hope will be uh, important to understanding. The first is ahead uh, of this portion. Paul is addressing uh, the return of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ to the Thessalonians and how their faith, their longing to look for him, how there will be judgment that will come. Oh, we sometimes long for that judgment, don't we? So grateful that we don't have to participate in the judgment that will come. And yet Paul f- puts and turns their focus to the return of Christ <clears throat> and the hope associated with that. And we do have a tremendous hope, and sometimes we may forget that daily we need to focus upon the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. We don't know if it will be today. Things are continuing to devolve in our nation, specifically politically, uh, relationally, morally. It's inconceivable. We have many portions of Scripture which remind us of the fact that things are going to go from bad to worse. But not only are we challenged with the hope of the return of Christ, but there are numerous passages, including Thessalonians, which bring our focus about to not only do we have hope, but the cha- it challenges us as to how we are to walk in this world in light of the return of Christ. Second Peter chapter 3 talks about that. He goes, since everything will be destroyed, he's talking about again the return of the Lord and the judgment, what kind of people ought we to be? We ought to live holy and godly lives. So then, since we're looking forward to this, to the return of Christ, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with the Lord. John reminds us in 1 John chapter 3 that everyone who has this hope, the hope of Christ's return, that if we have that hope in ourselves, we seek to purify ourselves even as he is pure. So hope in Christ's return doesn't only give us a focus to the future, but how we are to live now in light of that truth. Pastor Paul's already read our passage to us, so I won't read through it again, but let's consider some principle that Paul sets forth in regard to prayer. And the first principle I think we see here is in regard to the resource that we have in prayer. Paul starts off by saying, with this in mind, the return of Christ, we constantly pray for you. We're invited to pray. You know, it is the responsibility of shepherds to pray for their congregation. Interesting principle. Teaching of the Word can only occur, and I noticed uh, a list on the back door there of different people having different responsibilities and opportunities to, uh, for this body to minister to one another throughout the week. But teaching of the Word, as of this morning, is limited to 45 minutes. Not that long in the whole scheme of things. And yet, the shepherds 
can pray for their congregations without ceasing. Sometimes we forget that as to how important it is, what a privilege it is that prayer can be constant for our people. When appointing the first deacons, the apostles pointed out that they were to help in practical areas to free up the leadership for prayer and the teaching of the word. Sometimes we neglect that aspect of prayer and focus more on the teaching of the word. Both are crucial. Our growth as believers is dependent both on God's grace and our own obedience. So a very normal question that we as believers may have is this. If God is sovereign, and I believe him to be that wholeheartedly, why should we pray? If he will accomplish his purposes. His sovereignty is declared, and I I just want to remind us, because it's important to grasp these principles of sovereignty. Job 42, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours will be thwarted, says Job. Psalm 103, verse 19, The Lord has established His throne in heaven, and His kingdom rules over all. Wow. Even this nation. Proverbs 16, The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. Isaiah 46, Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other I am God, and there is no one like me. Boy, I'm glad. I I relish these truths to rest in our sovereign Lord. I make known the end from the beginning, the ancient times, and what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do what I please. Wow. You know, I am so glad. The the thought crossed my mind as I was just connecting with some portion of Scripture a couple of days ago. Um, And I thought, you know, we are, as His creation, we are His subjects. We've been not only created, but we've been bought. We've not only been made, but we've been bought by Him. No one said He had to be a good God. But He is He is holy and righteous and just and we rest in His goodness and His character. And I thank Him for that fact that He is holy and all that He is. Didn't have to be. But we have the privilege of serving a good Heavenly Father. So the Word of God speaks to us clearly about God's sovereignty. But that does not negate man's responsibility. Samuel cries out and says, Far be it from me, speaking to the Israelites, that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. Wow. He took that responsibility seriously. 
Daniel, even though he knew from Jeremiah's prophecies that the Babylonian captivity would only last 70 years, he still prayed for God to restore Israel from captivity. Oh, it's going to happen anyway. We'll just wait. No. He still besought the Lord. Even Jesus himself, speaking to Peter, says, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. If Jesus Christ, the sovereign Lord in flesh, felt it important to pray for Peter, should we do any less? The whole point I just want to build here for us is that we have the privilege of approaching our Father, our good Heavenly Father, in prayer, beseeching Him for whatever the needs may be. Prayer aligns our hearts with God. And it also helps to align not only our hearts with Him, but that He would enable our works and our prayers to accomplish whatever it is He wants to do. So, <clears throat> a wonderful statement that was made in regard to these principles is this. Path, prayer or, excuse me, the sovereignty of God does not lead us to passive resignation, but to active petition. Let me read that again. The sovereignty of God does not lead us to passive resignation. Well, it's going to happen anyway. It's almost like a fatalistic view. But instead, the sovereignty of God leads us to active petition that we seek him and ask of him according to his will. That is our privilege, the privilege of prayer. And Paul says, because of that, I pray for you constantly, Thessalonians. <clears throat> well, he goes on. What does he pray? He prays for some specific things. I pray that our God may count you worthy of his calling, and I'll read the rest of the verse, and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. He prays for our worthiness. Huh. Now we know that Paul clearly sets forth that the calling of God. He says, I pray that God will count you worthy of his calling. And I think what's in focus there is that, that calling of God that draws each unbeliever in whose heart God chooses to work, calls us and brings us to faith in the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. He draws us. John 6 tells us that no one, says Jesus, can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. We have been called by the Lord. But there's another aspect to this calling. We know that it is his righteousness which makes us acceptable, not our own. 
And our worthiness is not dependent upon our obedience in the sense that, that we earn salvation. That's not what Paul's looking at here. Instead, he talks about a worthiness and evidence of our worthiness in a different perspective because we are called to walk in a manner worthy of God's calling. Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians says this, You know that we dealt with you, Paul says to the Thessalonians, as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. How do we find ourselves and live lives worthy of our Father, of our God? Well, he describes that further. I'm so grateful in 2 Thessalonians because God often develops and causes us to be more worthy of his calling, not through something I enjoy. Nonetheless, he says, I will do this by permitting you to suffer. 2 Thessalonians 1, 4, Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about you and your perseverance and the faith in all of your persecutions and trials that you're enduring. The Thessalonian church suffered. They were under the thumb of unbelievers in so many ways, and yet they did not let them, let that, those sufferings and trials, slow them down. And the very next verse says, all this, your sufferings, is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy. Worthy? Worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Worthiness comes through suffering and our desire and our willingness to submit, to remain under the pressure, to endure. It is an evidence of our true faith. We continue to trust him through our times of difficulty. I don't mind telling you folks, I've never iced over it. I mean icing, that kind, not cold ice. I've never frosted over our circumstance that we have found ourselves in. I don't ever pretend that it's easy. I don't pretend that it's pleasant and that everything is fine. I don't, because it's not fine. And yet, my loving Heavenly Father knows what he's accomplishing and how to best glorify himself through whatever he has permitted. James tells us, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. That word is so rich, perseverance. And I'll just take a second to kind of explain it for us because we, 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 in English, it's, it's, it is that term that <clears throat> persevere means to you know, kind of stick it out. But in the language of the New Testament, it's made up of two words. And it literally means to remain under. To remain under what? under the pressure in which we may find ourselves. 
Now, there's a tendency, and if you ever worked with something that you were trying to hold it still so you could pry on it or put a wrench on it, and you, know, you put it in a vise, and you tighten that up, and then you start trying to torque on that, and all of a sudden it slips out of the vise. And it's like, ah, you know, I got to tighten that up even more to hold that there so I can accomplish my purpose there. Well, you know, our lives are very similar. We may be pressed under heavy duress and circumstances. And what is our human tendency? It is to want to escape from under that pressure. Get me out of here. That's my prayer, right? I want to have that pressure removed because it's not comfortable. The word endurance or perseverance is this. It takes an act of faith to remain under, to stay put, and not look for ways of escape, but to allow God to continue his work and accomplish what it is he wants in our lives. Who else can do it? And if we do manage to escape, then he has to come over, grab a hold of us again, tighten the vice, so that we will stay put and let him finish his perfect work in us. That's not easy. It requires us to trust him through it all. There's a huge list of many evidences of a worthy walk. I'm just not even going to give you other than the book and the chapter. Somebody last week sent me a text. When you preach, could you please include the verse? I'm thinking, I'm trying to save time. You know, so I'm not going to give you all the verses. You can read the chapter and find it if you're writing that. But anyway, <clears throat> we are called to walk by means of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8. Walk in humility. Ephesians 2. In purity, Romans 1. In contentment, 1 Corinthians 7. By faith, 2 Corinthians 5. With unity, Ephesians 4. With all gentleness, Ephesians 4. Patient, Colossians 1. Love, Ephesians 5. Joy, Colossians 1. Thankfulness, Colossians 1. Walk in light, Ephesians 5. Knowledge, Colossians 1. Wisdom, Ephesians 5. In truth, 3 John 3. And fruitfulness, Colossians 1. What a list of things that are evidences of our worthiness. We trust him and let him develop these things in us. <clears throat> are we worthy of salvation? No. We deserve only one thing. Death and hell. You know, I have encountered so many people when I have taught that principle, they have a hard time repeating that. I, what do I deserve? I deserve death and hell. I need to keep that in mind. Nothing else that comes my way compares with that. It may be difficult, maybe suffering, trials, unknowns, uncertainty. But one thing remains certain, Christ and him alone and his finished work. And I can trust him.
We are called, we do not, we are not worthy of salvation, but we are called to walk in a worthy manner. <clears throat> well, the next little phrase in that verse, and I'm going to rush along here. We're called to walk in a worthy manner, yes. But he says, and to fulfill every desire of goodness and every work of faith. Now, it's kind of a difficult passage to render in English. And I have seen a number of translations make an effort, and I, I struggle with it myself. In a literal sense, it's, it says that he may fulfill your every good purpose of goodness. Well, <clears throat> how do I understand that? I think that what Paul is basically saying is that he's praying for them, the Thessalonians, that God would bring about all their longing for goodness. Is that what we long for? That seemed to be what the Thessalonians were longing for. <clears throat> we certainly have an opposite example in Ananias and Sapphira, when Peter claims, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart so that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept yourself some of the money that you've received from the land? You know, freedom makes it sound like, oh, he was forced to give everything. No, he had the freedom to give, not give, keep, share some, whatever he chose. He was free to do that, but what his sin was he said, oh, we give you everything. This is what we receive. But no, we actually sold it for this amount. We're keeping some of it, but we're going to make it look like we gave everything. Sacrificial. That's not good. Not good. And it was all about having this appearance of being more spiritual or sacrificial than they were. It was about lifting themselves up in the eyes of who? They're fellow believers. We can do that very easily if we're not careful. But because God is good, and when Paul is praying this for the Thessalonians, we know that this is consistent with God's will, that their goodness, their longing for goodness would be fulfilled. <clears throat> That's interesting. As I look through and I, and I examine Old and New Testament, Almost every single Old Testament passage referring to goodness had to do with just one thing, God's goodness. Didn't really talk about Old Testament saints and their goodness. But when we come to the New Testament, it's a complete change. There are many references to believers and our goodness. Whoa. Romans 15, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Galatians 5, of the fruit of the Spirit, the list there is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Ephesians 5, the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness, and purity. Those things go together, don't they? In 2 Peter 1, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Now, I had a son point out a principle to me that was rather deep. He said, you know something, Dad? <clears throat> goodness 
isn't just not being bad. <laughs> you ever think about that? Well, were you good today, son, in school? Well, what's their answer? Yeah, I didn't get detention, I didn't punch anybody, I didn't, you know, whatever. And we think, yeah, I was good, right? That's not goodness. That's just not being bad. Wow. What is goodness? It's actively pursuing what's good. Can you think of something right now that would be good for you to do? What can you do to show God's goodness? <clears throat> My dear friends, as I began this message, many of you in this body have demonstrated your goodness to my wife and myself by taking initiative, driving to Las Cruces to sit with me and listen, writing letters and cards of encouragement, sharing financially with us, probably sacrificially as you did. That is goodness. That is you acting good. And we again, we thank you. So Paul is praying that all of the longing of the Thessalonians would be fulfilled. Their longing for goodness. Wow, that's Paul's description of the Thessalonians. He knows they want to be known for goodness. You know, our local assembly in Las Cruces, it's the same thing. They learned of our immediate situation just a day ago, and immediately they began to pour themselves into us. We were dumbfounded. I'm so grateful for these bodies of Christ that exude goodness. And it should begin with the household of faith, but not be limited to that. Wow, do we not, are we not set apart from the rest of the world by these things? And you want to know how to grow? Well, teach the word and be good to your neighbors. The unbelievers, they don't, do they deserve it? No. Did we deserve it? No. We do it because that's the character of our Father. So the key principle I see here is, Lord, I only want what you want, not what I want. Those who make God's agenda their own can claim like David, Lord, the Lord, you will accomplish what concerns me. He will fulfill his purpose for me. O oh Lord, you endure forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. David just wanted God's will. And that last little subsection is Paul prays that God will accomplish this by his power. Oh, 
I won't take time to go into that because I want to move into the, the last portion that we, we look at. There's so many exhortations to being good and obedient, but we can't accomplish any of it apart from His power, the power of the Spirit who lives within us. I think we need to remind ourselves not to become stagnant, not to rest in our laurels of our past performance, but to keep striving to serve one another and to illustrate God's unmerited favor and love. And the last portion we see is verse 12 that I want to share with you in closing this morning. Paul continues to say, we pray. We pray this so that. We call that a purpose clause here. And it's pretty clear. i got to understand, oh yeah, this is why. And I want to get the why. Paul says, we pray this so that. Why do we pray? Why does Paul pray? There's one overarching principle, and this is what has transformed my whole perspective in my prayer, especially through this challenging time of suffering and uncertainty. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, what's most important? Paul says the only thing that matters It's not about my comfort. It's not about healing. It's not about my needs being met. He's already promised to manage according to the riches in Christ Jesus. He will provide in His way and in His time. What matters, and when people say, how can I pray for you? This is what I tell them. Please just pray that God will glorify himself in all of this. That's all that matters. It's not about what do I need, what can I get. It's all about him. That's where God has changed my life to help me to see what really matters. I'm so grateful for the 45 years of marriage that God has given to me with that gal. We, are, we grew to love, love each other on a short-term, two-year ministry, mission experience. <clears throat> short-term is two weeks this, in this day and age. But it's been a good run. I hope I will have been effective in presenting her to the Lord without spot, blemish, wrinkle, or anything else. That is my challenge before the Lord to have loved my wife that way. And I pray that there would be 
glory for the Lord in whatever he will do here in these next days. He will have to bring us safely through. Father, we're so grateful that your word directs us to what is most important. Thank you so much for hanging in there with us. We're slow learners sometimes. But you are patient, and we are so grateful for your example. And thank you for taking us under your wing, for gathering us to yourself, for demonstrating your sacrificial love over and over and over in the way that you interact with us daily and how you supply our needs and how you minister to us, your people. We thank you for the fact that you are sovereign and we ask that you would help us to continue to uplift one another, to pray for one another and to let you glorify yourself through our lives. Help us to endure, to remain under the pressure that you permit in our lives, that it may mold us into the image of your Son, the Lord Jesus, for he alone is worthy and worth serving. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord that his word is sufficient for our every need. Join us next time as we continue our study of God's infallible word. We would also love to have you join us in person at Grace Bible Fellowship. We meet together each Sunday from 9 a.m. to 9.50 a.m. for Connection Sunday School and from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. for our worship service. We're located at 1385 Northwestern Drive on the west side of El Paso, along with our hosting sister church, Mission de Gracia. If you have any questions, you can dial 915-308-1208 or visit our website at www.gracebibleelpaso.org. We would love to see you this Sunday as GBF gathers to proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. Thank you.